We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021. How to win at DraftKings and win in the sense of how can you just not lose a whole bunch? What can you do to pick the right tournaments, to do the right research, use the right tools, have the right strategy, and where not to make the huge mistakes? And what are the realistic expectations that you should have for DraftKings NFL for the upcoming season? We do this show every single year, and we try to build on it every single season. So you can always go back and check out the old shows. But we're going to go from beginner through advanced right now. What I want you to do out there is smash the like button to the video, subscribe. Mayo Media Network on YouTube. And in the comment section, give me your favorite tip, trick, or do not do for the NFL season on DraftKings, because I love to hear from you guys. Everyone has their own unique experience about picking their own tournaments or using the right different types of core players. There's different strategies. Everyone has around one. Some are good, some are bad. So I'd like to hear which ones have worked for you in the past. Also, rate and review the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Takes you like two seconds to scroll down to the bottom and go bloop. Five stars, that would be greatly appreciated. Subscribe if you haven't already as well, or tell a friend if you haven't done that either. But the big thing I want to tell you about right now for this NFL season, runthesims.com, the brand new stats and tool site. No one's going to be giving you picks at runthesims.com. They are completely customizable tools for you to make your own inputs and do your own research. There's a DFS optimizer. There's a single game simulator, all customizable on top of that, plus all of the betting tools where you can make your own inputs, which which has a range finder, range of outcomes, and you can dictate and manipulate the numbers that go into it off of the baseline that is provided for you. Sounds pretty good. No one's selling you picks. No one's giving you picks. You can use all of the tools that the pros use in order to make your own picks. Make life easier on yourself. Those are all premium tools right now. There are free tools for the advanced stats hub if you want to do research or for season-long players if you just want to build out season-long projections and make your own rankings all up at runthesims.com right now. If you want a discount on runthesims.com, you need to go to runthesims.com slash Holka, H-O-L, K-A, because Joe Holka is my guest right now, who's also a partner over at RunTheSims.com. How are you liking the site so far? Hi, good to see you. Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I didn't have any plans to partner with a tool site, uh, but when I saw what you guys were building, I knew that I had to get involved. It, it is completely different than a lot of the other stuff out there, which if anyone's hearing this for the first time, which they haven't, I'm sure, on your show this entire offseason, but uh, it is truly a little bit different than everything else out there, so I'm excited to use it. I'm excited to show you guys what I find and kind of bring you along through my journey uh, as well throughout this entire year using this tool, uh, so I'm super excited. Uh, Pat, I hear you do these intros. Uh, it just makes me realize that I really got to step my game up, man. You flip that switch and uh, it's just you're on, right? So uh, this will be fun. This is a good time of year to kind of dig into results, to dig into strategy, all that stuff. So this is the perfect show to jump into it. Two things before we get started. Everyone should go over to Joe's YouTube channel right now. You can search Joe Holka and find that. Subscribe to his channel. Also follow him on Twitter at Joe Holka because he's been releasing these threads, these strategy threads, just observations from around the DFS world. And whether it be content, whether it be tournament selection, that's what I want to dig into today right now and managing expectations. And what should people really be trying to do during the NFL season? Is it win a million dollars in the DraftKings 
Vince Millionaire Maker? Yeah, that'd be really nice. Very low percentage that's going to happen. Most people want to throw in like 50 bucks, 100 bucks a week, try to, you know, three times their money, maybe double their money. And we're going to try to talk you through the best ways to at least still have a bankroll where you can do that over multiple weeks and you're not just out after week one because you overplayed your hand in that situation. So one of the big things that people know about me is that I'm not a winning player. I play DraftKings for pure entertainment. I love to play it. It's a ton of fun to me. I don't ever put in any money that I cannot lose. That's a, As long as I stick to that, I feel pretty good about, you know, some weeks I have really good weeks, other weeks I get wiped out. Just a part of the process for me. It's all fun. It gives me a lot of entertainment on a Sunday. Other players like yourself are winning players long-term on DraftKings. But I think that people don't realize, Joe, that you don't win $10,000 every single week, do you? <laughs> Definitely not, Pat. I think that's the thing that people don't realize in general is that even the best players in the world, they're losing a lot, especially if they're only playing tournaments like I am. So this is going to be my seventh year playing tournaments on DraftKings and FanDuel. So I've been lucky to have success over the long run. But going through my results for that entire time period was uh, was a great thought exercise in general just to figure out what types of contests I'm good at, what things uh, I've done in the past that maybe I should not do again in terms of bankroll management, that sort of thing. But like the overarching idea behind writing these threads, I think there's 12 of them, is that I just wanted to kind of update everyone on where we're at currently in the DFS landscape because I think there's a lot of information out there that's just a little bit outdated in my opinion. Uh, there's the whole 80-20 cash game GPP split. Like I think that that's totally fine. Um, but you hit the nail on the hat or on the head pad i think it's you have to make sure that you're playing the amount that you're willing to lose uh, ultimately but also there's a ton of different ways that you can make money on DraftKings. you don't have to be playing stuff like the millionaire maker playing 150 lineups every week to be successful there's a lot of other i guess less sexy ways to make money on DraftKings. but that's kind of what i go through in those threads just some different ways to go about it some strategy and then i show some results just to kind of uh, i guess uh, get a little bit uh, deeper in the weeds in my journey overall you hit on that 80-20 split between cash games and GPPs. Now, frankly, I, I haven't, I felt like the switch to full tournament play has been what people have been doing for a while now. So it's funny to hear people still kind of espousing that because most of the people, I mean, I think it's just like a, a bubble for me. Most of the sharp people I follow who do really well just gave up cash games a while ago because you know, the expected value in these tournaments, if you're good at them, is so much higher. And what I mean by that is just look at the very top of the prize pool. Like at best in cash games, you're doubling your money every single week. You're not going to have those big scores. And when I talk about big scores, I'm not talking about a million bucks. Like what, what's the tournament that you always end up doing really well? And is it the $100 single entry spy or the three max? I know there's one of them that you were playing that you were just crushing for a while. Then you were recapping on your show. Yeah, I was playing the $1,500 for a while because I think there was around 100 people in it total. They actually bumped that up to, I think, around 200 last year. So it's actually even the difference between the field size of a 200-person field versus even like 100 and below is a lot different. Um, so I've mixed it up a little bit. I played the Juke a decent amount, which is a little bit smaller. That's a three max, though. But yeah, I think that my like overarching theory um, and I got a little bit of pushback on this like you mentioned that some people have been kind of slowly transitioning to playing only GPPs I've been doing that for like four or five years now and originally people thought that that was super aggressive but um, I just play smaller field tournaments so you can build these uh, these types of lineups that have a chance to win that wouldn't even sniff winning something like the millionaire maker obviously or even just like a larger tournament with like 10,000 people in it is a huge difference in the ones that I'm trying to attack because I, I think that there's just a huge edge still in building the right type of lineups for the right type of contests that you're playing based on field size alone so yeah i think that cash games are fine i also think they're kind of a waste of time unless you have a huge bankroll um, because if you're just breaking it down to how much time you're spending throughout the week researching all of those things you basically have to have a pretty high win rate to basically get a decent roi on just your time i, I think some people enjoy just trying to build that optimal lineup uh, I, I just have never really had a ton of success in cash games so i guess maybe it was an easy transition or at least decision uh to play a little bit more tournament action so that was at least uh, my path to get there uh, but I still think that if you're just still building up a bankroll just play a little bit less than you're used to and play a little bit more tournament action I, I think that people are playing too much for sure if they're only playing tournaments and they're playing the same amount that they used to the biggest thing that I learned, and although, like I said, I'm still a losing player, but I lose a lot less. And when I win, you know, I actually have some pretty nice wins and I feel good about it. Like if I put in, let's say, $200 a week and at the end of the week, I look at it, it's like, oh, you, you know, you've put in 200. Yeah, you have 1700. That, that's what you've won for the week. I'd be like, that is awesome. I wish I could continue to do that all the time. And then I thought to myself, like, why am I playing these top end million dollar contests? The answer is because I want to win a million dollars, obviously. But 
the expectation of once I realized that like, Hey, if I can win a thousand bucks this weekend, I am going to be fired up. Like that is awesome. And then I started to do what you were doing at the same time. Like, it's not that you have to play a single entry because single entries are hard. Three maxes are hard. The thing is, is what can you get away with? Where can you make a mistake yet still win money? And that's what people always get dragged into with some of these smaller field tournaments is that like, yeah, first prize is 3000 bucks. It's like, well, if you come second and you win 2000 bucks, you're going to feel like you had a pretty good week and you only had to beat a hundred other people in order to do it. Not 178,000 other people. Like it is realistic that you could win one of those things. Oh, it's absolutely realistic. And I think what people realize or get wrapped up in a little bit too much is you see these, say there's 10 K to first place in a tournament, maybe it's a hundred dollar entry, but you have to beat 10,000 people. What if you were to put those entries in a smaller field contest, you'd be surprised if you win, like, so you're saying the playing the same lineup in a bunch of smaller field stuff that might be a lower buy-in, but there's only like 500 to first place or a thousand to first place. If you win multiple amounts of those tournaments, the upside is similar. It's not in one tournament, but you're going to have a much better ROI in those tournaments that are smaller anyway so if you play that same amount in different contests like sometimes that's the difference between being a profitable player and not being a profitable player at least what i've found and i've heard leone talk about this a lot as well you just want to compete every week and i'm making mistakes constantly i, I want to be able to at least uh, have a chance to win on those weeks where things go kind of sideways a little bit but these smaller field tournaments sometimes you can really survive just that that kind of outlier three touchdown game from a guy that's one percent owned and the larger field stuff sometimes the smaller field stuff you won't even have to run into that guy so that that's something that you can avoid um you can also build your lineups with a little bit more correlation which we can get into it just makes things a lot easier it's easier to build lineups with big stacks than it is just to try and pick that 10 leg parlay to have that perfect lineup so i, I guess by default, I'm doing things that I think are easier, uh, but I also think are, are a little bit more plus EV in the long run. Well, you're leaving yourself margin of error because no one's going to pick the perfect lineup ever. And people think that they're going to do it every single week. There's nothing like me when I build my lineup. Like I'll probably like hand build the first one and just to see where I'm at. Actually, I'll probably run the optimizer on run the Sims just to see where the baseline projections pump out like, okay, because it gives me a good sense of where most people are going to go. And we'll get to that in a second about cash games. But here's a perfect example of what you're talking about and the strategy that I employed. And it's not to say that I'm not playing in the millionaire maker. I love throwing lottery tickets away, but that's all that oh, yeah. it is at that point. That is just a pure rush of entertainment. You know, it's no different than going in. Like you're going to have, like you said, a 10 leg parlay. Like how many people have you known that have ever hit a 10 leg parlay? The answer is probably none, maybe one. And even your 10 leg parlay still needs to be better than someone else's 10 leg parlay at the same time. That's the part that you don't really consider about it. You could hit what you think is the nuts. Then someone just has better than you do. And the drop off between the pricing, because the, the field is so top heavy in terms of pricing, that becomes difficult. But this week in golf, actually, uh, I had my main lineup and my main lineup was really good. Actually, it was, a, it was a five of six. So if people don't know, that means I only had five of the six players make it through to the weekend. So I played that lineup in like a $100 single entry. It won like 250 bucks in it. I had it in the big 15. It won $25. I had it in the five. It won $15. But I also played it in this really small, like the secondary version of a tournament. And you'll see this from time to time when tournaments fill on DraftKings, where you have the giant millionaire maker, but then you'll have like a lesser, it's not a millionaire maker, but it's the same similar style of con contest just with far fewer people in it so there's a 44 dollar contest on DraftKings that usually has for golf at least has like 20,000 people in it I think and I found one that had 300 people in it so I was like you know what I'm just gonna throw it in this one and hopefully it works out it ended up coming like fifth and I won like a thousand bucks on it I was like huh this lineup was dead in every other tournament but this one with limited people actually turned out to be by far my most profitable and it wasn't even my best lineup of the week it's crazy because those tournaments that they add later on, usually the structure is a little bit better on them also because they want people to play them. They want it to fill. So you'll you'll sometimes you'll see the min cash be a 2x min cash instead of a 1.5. You'll see less people, like you said. You'll also catch people that, I don't know, maybe they're just hungover on a Sunday morning. They're trying to build their lineups like last minute. They didn't get into the big contest because they were already full. So like you'll catch more casuals in those also. A lot of times some of the pro players, they're, they're not as focused on grabbing their games at that point of the week. So there's so many things that, 
our plus EV about grabbing some of those smaller contests that are posted later. So I, I think that's a great point. I, I'll say this. I, I play the Millionaire Maker as well, but I do it for a little bit of different reason. I don't think my lineups really have a chance to win those the way that I build them, but just peace of mind. I, I mentally probably can't handle it if I'm even just like threatening to win the Millionaire Maker and I don't have it in there. Like that is the worst thing ever. I, I've had a couple experiences where I think I would have finished like top five in a playoff slate or something in the Millionaire Maker, but I was like actively like rooting against myself because you could be winning all these small field tournaments and then if you don't have anything in the large field ones like that's a little bit scary I, I guess i can't handle that mentally so it's like lighting money on fire sure uh but the peace of mind is worth it to me it's funny because i actually am the opposite way about it i never feel badly about something i don't enter like it does sure. maybe i'm a weird outlier like that it, it would not affect me whatsoever now i've never had a lineup good enough to win a million millionaire maker that i didn't enter into the millionaire maker but i don't know i just whenever i've missed out on big scores if i had played this one or played that one it's never really bothered me. Like the best tournament you can play on DraftKings is actually the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. I know that sounds like self-promotion, but it has no rake. It's flat payouts and it's a three max entry with like 3,000 people in it. Like that's actually the best tournament. <laughs> it's the easiest thing to promote because it's actually a good tournament, right? Like you said, like it's uh, you're, it's really not a promotion at all. It's just like literally one of the best tournaments that you can play just because you're not going to have to pay the amount of rake that you're paying elsewhere. So I think that's great. I, I guess we are totally different, Pat, because like even in the Super Bowl, uh, Peter Overzet and I did a stream uh, right before. We built a couple lineups. Uh, I threw some of them in. There was a, I think there was a Leonard Fournette, Rob Gronkowski team that we just didn't play. And of course, that's a millionaire maker uh, week in the Super Bowl. And I think we would have finished like second for like 500K <laughs> if we just would have thrown it in there. Like I, I just like, maybe that's just bad to look at things. Like it easily could have just been tossing money away. But a lineup that we built on stream in front of like a thousand people would have cash for eight hundred thousand dollars like that that mentally is tough on me maybe i need to be a little bit more like you i guess uh potentially but you're also constructing fewer lineups than i am because i really like to play the 20 max like the three dollar 20 max i think there was a nine dollar 20 max last year that i was playing in too and that's where runthesims.com really comes in that i can go build my lineups that i want include the players that i want exclude the players i want build the stacks that i want in there and then if i'm playing like you know 20 in the three dollars something like that am i really gonna like especially when they bump it up to like 20 dollars per entry it's like do i really want to be in for 400 bucks now it's like not really so then i'm not killing myself at the same time but if you had like five entries i could see how that could end up becoming a thing healthy snacks have a bad reputation and let's be honest most don't taste very good they're horrible they don't fill you up and they certainly don't satisfy your cravings but this episode is sponsored by monk pack who makes snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats but with one gram of sugar or less Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain one gram of sugar or less, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. They're great for anyone living a keto lifestyle, and they're a perfect snack for anyone who just likes to eat good snacks and wants to cut back on sugar. That's me. If you've seen the video version of the Pat Mayo experience lately, you'll see a slim and trim Pat Mayo. Big thing was... Monk Pack sent me a whole bunch of these keto bars, and while I'm not doing a keto diet by any means, I do think that cutting back on sugar and actually having a snack that's not high in calories, that is low in sugar, that isn't horrible, and I actually do like to eat, I thoroughly enjoy it, because they come in delicious flavors like sea salt dark chocolate, caramel sea salt, peanut butter dark chocolate. They're really delicious. I cannot emphasize this enough. I was shocked. I got them in the mail. I opened the box, like, all right, here we go. Someone's an advertiser on the show. I'll give it a try now like they're almost all gone and my wife's been eating them too like we just really enjoy the monk pack keto nut and seed bars i'm obsessed with these bars and probably eat more than i should at this point so i probably need to scale that back because they're a bit too good right now but i highly suggest you go try it for yourself and you'll see and we have a special de deal for all of our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code MAYO. That's M-A-Y-O for those of you who can't spell or read at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product on the site. Then enter code MAYO, M-A-Y-O, at checkout to save yourself 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. 
here's the point I wanted to make about cash games and why I don't think that cash games are viable. Paul, can you screen share for a second, please? So, Joe, this is runthesims.com, and runthesims.holka will get you a discount on that. But you have another discount on top of that for even more money off, don't you? Yeah, so my Tier 2 and Tier 3 YouTube members on my channel are actually getting hooked up with an exclusive deal from you guys, $100 off from that NFL bundle. So that's literally, we were just talking about your contest on DraftKings, Pat. This is literally the best deal that exists for Run the Sims if you're looking to kind of pull the trigger on this thing. So, uh, yeah, if you do want to kind of get involved in my community for those uh, that Tier 3 and Tier 2 kind of tier, basically, we'll unlock a bunch of stuff in my Discord, but uh, we'll give you a, a nice little discount on the bundle that you can't get anywhere else. So I've pulled up Run the Sims. I've loaded in the main slate on DraftKings for week one. Now, obviously, when we're doing this, we're still a few weeks out. So this will change as projections update. And the projections will be updated in the optimizer all the way up until Sunday after the inactives are out to make sure that everything is up to date. You can count on that from runthesims.com. But here is the big thing that I want to go to. I'll go into my settings. I have 100 lineups generated. Let's just say we go to 10. I'll put max exposure, but the main thing that I wanted to do here is just generate the baseline settings uh, for this and just see what happens. Actually, I think I have the wrong slate. I want the main slate. So when I log on to DraftKings, um, whenever I go in to play cash games, this is what's going to end up happening. I think I've messed around with my stuff because it's still giving me Jamar Chase as a part of this. But at the same time, if you just go run, just run the Sims one time, generate your lineups, and you'll find what the optimal lineups are going to be. And that's why I feel like cash games have become minus EV, is that everyone has access to so many of these tools that if you just played the optimal lineup in a DraftKings cash game, like you're going to be so close to that 50 percentile most of the time anyway, whether you're playing a double up or whether you're playing a 50-50. And so many people have access to different optimizers. Obviously, the different projections give you different results, but most projection systems are pretty much close to each other. And they will give you, these are the best values. These are very clearly the best values. There's so much free information, paid information that people can identify the good plays. In 2015, that wasn't the case. I won almost every single week in cash. When golf first started, when MLB first started, when NFL first started. And then the players just got a lot better and it became a whole lot harder that there is no edge to cash games anymore like there used to be. I think that is the issue with all of the tools, the information and the quality of player that we have right now. Like, why am I trying to spend my time to double up my money when I can just be slightly contrarian and it's more EV? so much easier to build good lineups than it used to be like you said one click you can kind of end up at least to like a reasonable area in cash games right so if you get enough people doing that it just gets to the spot where it's just not a decent situation to really be in anymore especially when in the very beginning like you said like it was so much uh i guess more plus ev to be playing those games because you catch people that just would would play guys that were inactive especially like things like preseason it was just a complete print fest and now you get like uh, a lot more people that know what they're doing in those contests so like when it comes to tournaments like that's not i mean maybe ever going to be a completely solved game right you're basically playing the ownership game in a lot of different types of ways i think one of the edges that people don't talk about enough is just playing different slates like there's so many people that are just focused on the main slate i like to kind of spread out my action throughout some of the smaller slates the short slates as well um you mentioned that I, i'm not playing a ton of lineups but over the course of the entire week playing different slates i end up getting access to a lot of players that maybe i wouldn't have been considering on the main slate so i always kind of tell this story just because uh derrick henry has cost me so much money over the years but uh one of my best slates of the entire year last year was one of uh, a slate that i basically just faded derrick henry when he was super uh, i think he was probably 30 percent owned or something on the main slate ended up playing one of the smaller slates where he wasn't on it um got absolutely wrecked on the main slate by the way like probably lost every cent um uh, but the shorter slate without derrick henry had a, a really good slate to i think make most of that back so uh sometimes just getting access in different ways it's not even necessarily hedging at that point because you're building for that specific slate but there's just not a lot of content out there for shorter slates the ownership isn't really out there it's not very good you'll see people that are just doing what you just did pat they're putting in optimal lineups into these shorter slates and that just makes it even easier as a tournament player to kind of leverage the field when you know that ownership is going to condense on kind of that optimal roster construction so that's kind of how i use optimizers a lot of times is i'll see kind of where the i guess the projections are leading people even just in roster construction and then you can kind of figure out a way to kind of get to the similar projection but just really have a completely different construction than most people 
Yeah, well, let's jump back to that again, because I think that's a very important point to hit on. We can have this ownership conversation now, so I, I actually reset my settings. I think it's still going to give me Jamar Chase, because the projections still like him, despite the fact that, well, we're speaking, the world hates his guts so much. So you can just see Patrick Mahomes is a part of this optimal right now. I mean, Troutman ended up getting hurt, so that has to update itself. But in this overall optimal lineup right now, uh, I don't have any stacking features on, which I would when I would be running the optimizer for myself. But it's just almost giving you like, hey, here's what everyone wants to do. So the build would be, if you use most optimizers, expensive quarterback, two expensive running backs, and then just the value guys all the way down, expensive tight end. And stars then, and scrubs. Yep. Yeah, like this is a pure stars and scrubs, and that is giving you the optimal right now, which uses all the salary, projects out to be 148.38 points. Like, I mean, the winning score for that week is probably going to be like 230. Uh, so it's, it's funny when you think about it, like in terms of optimal, and this is going to end up being... Uh, what the medium projections give you out, but most of the lineups are looking that way. So I think that what you hit on is when you run the optimal and you look at what it's spitting you out, so many people are influenced by tools like this is that Christian McCaffrey and Elvin Kamara are going to be incredibly high-owned in week one. We know Patrick Mahomes is anyway, and if Kittle is that value on the week one main slate, so just the Sunday games not including uh, Sunday night football, is like those are the guys that you can expect to have ownership. And then when it goes back to you, you can start thinking about like, oh, if I don't use Kittle and I use someone else here, how different does that lineup make me? And the answer is probably a lot. Yeah. And like, there'll be weeks we'll, we'll see it every year where there's just like these, these layup uh, value plays that you feel like you have to have. Uh, but that's just going to lead you to a very similar roster to a lot of people. Like you just showed it, like all those stars and scrubs type of rosters. A lot of times, if you were just to build a little bit differently, just have kind of some middle of the road players that still project really well, or some different types of stacks. I mean, you're not paying up for a Patrick Mahomes, or maybe you're not uh, paying up in both those running back slots like that alone. Like you can still get almost all the way there from a median perspective perspective but you're just going to be so much different because it's easy to put in like these three or thirty five hundred dollar wide receivers that are going to get you to all these top plays but i mean i don't really want to be holding hands with those people to be honest no that's that's true and you'll know that the other people are going to be using them in your like how do you do this is the one thing that i always struggle with the most is when you have that four thousand dollar running back who instantly becomes the starter and should be priced at sixty eight hundred dollars and then the quote-unquote free square comes into play and you're like oh you got to play this guy I usually do play that guy, to tell you the truth. And I try to figure out ways to make my team different elsewhere because it saves me so much money that there's always a high-end pivot, like between Henry, Kamara, Cook, and McCaffrey. Which guy has the worst matchup? No one's using that guy. I'll use that guy along with this, someone that could end up with like 25 points at 4,000 bucks. So I'm usually okay with playing those guys. I've come like full circle on this one pack is I'm with you, but people don't forget when these guys get you like 10 points, right? So like, maybe that's fine. Um, but these running back slots are so valuable that a lot of times when everyone's just kind of gravitating towards this spot, this backup coming in, people don't realize that like how many times have we seen it in Minnesota, Dalvin cook goes down and it is an Alexander Madison that gets the entire workload. Right. So we just assume that these guys are going to come in and get the same workload. Sometimes that's not the case. Like a team like Pittsburgh. Yeah. Sometimes they just come in, they play the same exact role. So it is team specific. I think then when people start to get uh, this free square type of conversation starts to happen, I always am like trying to figure out other ways to go. Sure. There, there's, there's tons of times where it just makes sense. Maybe the pricing is super tight that week and you kind of do need that guy to get there. Uh, but I do think that it's a little bit overblown at times. Why? Like you have to play this guy. I don't think you really have to play anyone uh, on any slate, really. Uh, but I- I'm with you. Running back is one where it's a little bit hard to kind of get away from at times, especially if the guy's just going to walk into a huge workload and he's just like uh, super cheap. But we'll say like I think in the beginning of DFS, these guys were even cheaper. Now DraftKings and FanDuel, they're pricing up these backups a little bit also so playing gets to go back to that minnesota example playing out in alexander madison at 5800 is a little bit different than playing him at 4200 and that's what we used to get and the pricing is a little bit different now for some of these backups and people are playing it like it's the same thing at 5800 or whatever it is maybe you can get a guy like a miles sanders or someone like that that's going to be projecting for a 
similar workload, but I mean, probably a higher ceiling than some of these backups that are coming in when we have a little bit more of an ambiguous role. Anyways, we have no idea what's going to happen. So I think those are situations to at least monitor, uh, but I'm with you running backs. One of those ones that sometimes it is easy to just grab that extra volume. Yeah. And volume is really what we want to mine. So let's talk about that right away and the types of players that we want to target in DraftKings NFL from a tournament perspective, because volume is still going to be king. Although it does seem like there is merit to like when you go to run the Sims, I just pulled it up right now, uh, the percentile projections for week one. So you can see when they hit their you know bottom end outcome, how many points do they score when they hit their 100% outcome? How much do they score? Like if Patrick Mahomes had the greatest game of his life, he would score 72.6 points. Probably not going to happen. So I like to live in like the 70 to 75% area. And I like to judge players that way because there are certain players who have baked in floors because of volume. But there are other players because of their extended A dots. So their volume down the field, it might be less. They might be well, like their their floor really isn't there. Like they could be a 1.0 point type player. But if they do hit, they are sort of like the three catch, two touchdown and 148 yards player at the top of their ceiling. Do you think that there is an inefficiency with those type of boomer bust players in terms of ownership that they make good targets in GPPs? I think so for sure. It's it's definitely position specific. It's one of the things I talked about a little bit on the Twitter threads that people like the worst thing that you can do is just look at this player is projected for this amount of points. This player is projected for 0.3 more points. So I'm going to play that guy. Like that's the complete opposite of what you should be doing because all these players have kind of different range of outcomes, which is why I like that tool you were just showing uh, so much is because you want to kind of build in different types of players into your lineup. Sure, you can have some guys that have a little bit more of a narrow range of outcomes. You have a pretty good idea of where their 50th or 70th percentile is going to lead you. But you're set, you said of these wide receivers, they have such a wide range anyway. So why would I put like, why would I expose myself to 25, 35% ownership for this wide receiver that has such a wide range of outcomes when I can get a guy that has an equally high ceiling, maybe at the high end in like the 85th to 90th percentile, and he's going to be much lower owned because we just don't know. We don't know near as much as what we think is what it comes down to this like entire conversation, right? So I want to be benefiting from when everyone on Twitter is super upset because DK Metcalf has this amazing match matchup and Tyler Lockett's the one that goes off, right? Like I want to be on the side of just basically playing my odds there of how to win these tournaments, right? Not necessarily just be, again, holding hands with everyone else. I think what one of the things too with these projections that people need to realize is that it does depend on your contest. That's the other thing. If you leave this show with one thing, it depends on what your contests are playing or what contests you're playing based on how you're building these lineups. So I don't need the 99th percentile outcome from these guys. I'm totally fine getting some 80th, some 70th percent outcomes because that's enough to win these tournaments, especially if I'm correlating and picking the right stacks and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how I think about it. Um, wide receivers, I just want to be different at those spots and especially these cheap value wide receivers, right? Because all it's going to take is for that guy to just completely flop and you have a guy that's kind of similar at much lower ownership and that just really helps you pass people. That's what it's all about. We got to pass people in these tournaments and if everything kind of goes to shit on Twitter, uh, I want to be the guy that's uh, victory lapping, I guess. Let's talk about ownership for a second because I think it's become more overblown because people on shows like this show need something to talk about throughout the course of the week. It becomes a crutch, I'm as guilty of it and a perpetuator of it uh, if anyone else is. And I, it matters, but I think that some people overplay the hands like, oh my God, you need nine guys who no one's ever heard of in order to win. That's not what anyone is saying, but it always sounds like that's what people are saying at the same time. So when we talk about ownership, and this is something that Justin Freeman, as we went through on the stats and tools show in the research show, you can find the link to that in the description right now. So let's bring up Run the Sims again, and this is what he kind of ran me through. So let's pick the main slate on DraftKings for the Sunday and to look at optimal results. I need to run the Sims first. So I'll run the Sims and look at how many times that players end up in the optimal lineups uh, in some of these contests. And the way that he kind of broke it down for me was going to be, hey, this is sort of like efficient type of ownership. So if Elvin Kamara, and you look at the ownership projections for week one, is like 17%. Now, we've just run the, the Sims on this a bunch of times, I believe 5,000 times, so it took like eight 10,000, Pat. Come oh, on, so, this is your site. That's true. <laughs> I, I think for this one, I think for the optimal results, it's 5,000 times, so it goes a little bit okay, quicker. Okay, fair so, enough. I'll so listen to you. I'll listen to you. I mean, I could 
be wrong on that. It could be 10,000. Anyway, it took less than 10 seconds to run that many simulations of the entire slate. So you see that Alvin Kamara ends up in an optimal lineup 24% of the time, Christian McCaffrey 21% of the time. So let's say that everyone's playing McCaffrey. He's like 35% owned. No one wants to use Kamara because they don't trust the Saints. They don't trust the situation, anything like that. And his ownership is like 16%. So you would almost weight what the optimal percentage is versus what his percentage is actually. And I'd be like, oh, that's actually efficient ownership in that spot. Yes, he's going to be the third highest owned running back, but it's actually below what his optimal rate is going to be. Do you think that's a sensible way to look at this? Yeah, I honestly think that's a great example. Another one that I like to talk about too is just in showdown because a lot of times like you'll see this Josh Allen type of quarterback. He's going to project really well in optimizers, even in, if we're going to run the Sims here and see, you'll probably see that he's going to be the optimal captain a lot of times. Say he's the optimal captain, even 40% of the time. I, I think that's great. And people see that like, oh, I have to have Josh Allen. No, you don't, because 60% of the time, he's not the optimal captain. <laughs> and it's been, depending on where his ownership's at, you might want to have a Stefan Diggs where maybe he's going to be 25% owned at captain. That's just a ton of leverage on the field. You know my guy is Stefan Diggs, but I'm just saying, I, I like the idea of playing wide receivers that maybe have a less chance to be that optimal captain, but less people are going to be on him. So it doesn't even matter at that point. So like, I don't really play quarterbacks at captain just kind of for that reason, because they just end up being overowned in the captain slot. I might get buried on a lot of slates where you do kind of need that Josh Allen type of player in the captain slot. But I think that what we're talking about here is just because they're supposed to be the optimal. You got to see the other side of it too. There's still a large, even like you, you, I guess, undersell like what 20% of the time really means. Like that's pretty high 20% of the time that they're not the optimal captain. And just the ownership really doesn't kind of flesh that out. A lot of times that can be just a huge edge. And I agree with you that sometimes we get a little bit too caught up in the whole ownership game. I'm guilty of that as well. It's something that's uh, been really helpful working a little bit closer with Michael Leone is he, by the end of the week, he's like, maybe we're talking about Dallas all week, something like that. And you get to building lineups. It's really hard to build these really the premium Dallas stacks. Maybe Kansas city is a better example and really they aren't going to be as high owned as we think so by the end of the week maybe everyone's been talking about it but they don't end up kind of being that really high owned stack so it's kind of something that is contest specific but also like what time of the week is it um that's what's really valuable just the timing of it and look the context over anything else so um there's there's a lot of layers there for sure but i, I overdo it sometimes as well i'm with you so when we're thinking about ownership, I think obviously each slate is going to be completely independent of another one, like three or four times a year, like the the obvious plays, the chalky plays, the high owned ownership plays come through and people do really well with them. And then, you know, 65% of the time that doesn't end up happening. But what do you think is the best way to balance ownership? Because sometimes a guy is super highly owned because they're in a great spot. You see it and you're like, oh, he should probably be like 80% owned. He's only going to be 21% owned. I think I'm still going to roll with him and differentiate my team elsewhere. Can you explain why differentiating your team and using a low owned play or two? Because I really think that's all it takes. Or even just construct your team in a slightly different way and use a different player as a part of even a popular stack. It's just a great way to make your 2v2s a 1v1 very quickly. Yeah, it's true. And I'll say this, you don't, you don't get a gold star for having a 1% owned player. Trust me, I've lost plenty of money trying to, I guess, have more lower owned players in my lineups. And that, that's not really what it's about. It's about having a unique team. Uh, so I, I might say something here to make Justin do this. I was just talking to him about something with one of the tools earlier, this 2v2 tool that you're talking about, this range finder that you can do. I want to have ownership in that because I care about like the projected ownership of like the stack as a whole versus just these individual players. So maybe you have an Aaron Jones that's extremely popular, but when you start to mix in Aaron Jones and uh, Aaron Rodgers and maybe uh, a Tanyan in your larger stack, that three-person combination, maybe it is kind of unique, honestly. So like it depends on like the rest of your roster versus these individual plays. We see it every week in the Millionaire Maker, smaller contest. You can play, again, some of these running backs that might be higher owned as long as you get a little bit weird elsewhere. I, I think it's finding some of these key leverage points and just having a unique roster is, is really sharp. Uh, again, just I, I hate to just keep pumping Leone's tires, which is I'm sure happens a decent amount on this show just across the industry. But I've learned a lot from him. Uh, one of the things that he did last year in, uh, I guess, qualifying for the live final on DraftKings that he just played Justin Hurts uh, or Jalen Hurts, I should say, Justin Hurts. 
Jalen Hurts uh, naked with a bunch of the basically higher owned players, but no one played Jalen Hurts in that type of roster. So it, it gets getting a little bit different, um, but still getting a lot of the really popular plays. I don't think he had a player under 15% owned on his entire team and still qualified for a live final and something that's extremely top heavy. So that, that was kind of eye opening for me. So let's talk about correlation, how to actually build your rosters, because it has to start with correlation, right? It definitely does. Um, and you're going to ask yourself what type of contest you're playing. I'm doing a lot less correlation for something that's larger field because you do kind of have to have these players that go completely crazy. I think that they do cannibalize each other in some ways. Like there's only so many touchdowns to go around. So if you do have that crazy ceiling performance from, say, a wide receiver, it's going to take away a little bit from your running backs. But in a smaller field contest, you don't really care about that as much. You're just trying to pick that game in a lot of ways. So I tend to overstack. Um, even on slots, that type of thing, depending on if it's, and, and we've said smaller field, but like what I'm mostly playing is like 200 and below, I would consider smaller fields. So maybe that's super small field to most people. If you're used to playing these ones that are like 15,000 people, something like that. If you're in the mid range and you're playing something with like 1500 people, I think that just doing a single stack, maybe just a double stack, still completely fine. Uh, Pat, I'm curious your thoughts on one thing though. Uh, bring backs. Are you a guy that always, if you're going to be stacking up three guys from a team, do you always want to have someone on the other side? I, I go back and forth on this. I, I think that sometimes it's a little bit um, of just something we, again, it's talked about so much in the industry that people just do it. I'm not convinced it's required though. Are you? I'm not convinced it's required, but I usually like to bring two people back on the other side and okay. really onslaught a game. So if people don't know the terminology that we're using, stacking is when I'm going to take my quarterback with two other players or a other player. Or like you said, you can overload stack and just use all the players from one team. Because I've seen that win a millionaire maker before. It was a huge outlier, mm -hmm. but it ended up happening. I think it was the Steelers against the Rams like five years ago in week one or yep. week two. And it was just like, oh my God, what is going on? There was on a Seahawks here? week two that I remember even maybe a year or two after that. It's, it happens like literally once every three year so don't just be doing that every slide yeah so the way that you have to think about it is let's just use the example of i'll go to the game right now um let's go to cincinnati minnesota because i think this is a pretty straightforward one if you want to do it so i'm in actually the stack tool right now we'll go to the stack tool i want to stack up that game and you can just see so you have the home team you have the away team how are we going to do this i want the quarterback from cincinnati so i want joe burrow and i want him with two of actually i want him with two of his actually i want him with two receivers because i don't care about the tight ends on on the Bengals. I'm not, I'm not sweating Drew Sample or Secret <laughs> of the Uzma, but I, now I can get a mix of Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins. And the correlation being that if Burrow throws a touchdown, one of those guys is going to get it, so I'm scoring double the amount of points on every single go. And if I think that Cincinnati, being an underdog at home, is going to throw the ball a lot, I'm just putting myself into a good position uh, in that one, uh, where I think that they're going to be throwing a lot and potentially racking up a lot of yards and a lot of points, DraftKings points specifically in that matter. So when we're doing a bring back, Joe, we can bring it back with you know Delvin Cook if we want to, yep. um, or like we can that. or we can just say like I would prefer to bring the running back on the other side because that's how I would want the game to go. But that's not how games always go. Like there's a 48 point total, so targeting a high total game or even team totals is going to be really critical with this. But let's just call it two of running backs, tight end, wide receiver, running backs, and tight ends. Uh, and mm -hmm. then we can say, you know what? We want to use uh, limit per player, $10,000, and we'll find our optimal stacks. Boom. Just like that, it gets brought up. So this lineup is giving me Burrow, Chase, Higgins, Cook, and Jefferson as a five-player stack from that one game. Uh, this one has swapped out Higgins with Boyd and has the same bottom. But you can keep going through everything because sometimes it's going to be Cook and Thielen. Sometimes it's going to be Jefferson and Thielen. Sometimes it's going to be Cook and Irv Smith in that situation. These are all different ways to play it if you want to. So I like to run things like this, that if I'm going to really go all in on a game and I really have a good feeling about a game, and I I don't know if it's going to be this one. I like the Jets and the Jets and Carolina week one. I think that the Jets defense is so bad that it could just be a complete shootout game that maybe I'll take McCaffrey on one side and then take like Corey Davis and Zach Wilson and Jamison Crowder on the other. Cause I know that they're going to throw the ball like 55 times and if that's the case, that means they're losing by a bunch and having to play comeback, and that means Christian McCaffrey is just getting a bunch of carries on the other side of the ball. So now I'm correlating my offensive players together, but in the same game, I'm correlating the opposition together too. This goes completely wrong all the time. No one is like great at predicting this every single week. The one thing that I do like about the 3-2 stack is that if you get it right, you win. 
Yeah, I mean, the 3-2, I think even just by default, you're differentiating yourself, right? Because a lot of people aren't going to want, it's not going to feel comfortable to play Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook together because a lot of people will say that that's super negatively correlated. But if you're just trying to pick that game, both of those guys could easily get there for sure. So I, I'm with you on that. I think one of the things you mentioned also is building in these little mini stacks to your roster. You don't have to have the quarterback, right? So maybe you do have like a Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, just a single skinny stack, we like to call it. But also uh, from a different team, like you said, you have McCaffrey and then you have... Uh, uh, Corey Davis, and then maybe even another weapon from the Jets. So you have these little mini stacks. So you're kind of identifying the two games that you really like, and then you're building around that. And then um, from there, what I like to do is try and find some different players to kind of build around those as well. Also, if you think you're a little bit more unique with one of those mini stacks that you're playing, maybe you do just play one of the chalkier players as your fill-in spot, just to kind of make sure that you're still leaning towards more of an optimal type of projection, but also you're super different with the way that you're correlating. So uh, yeah, not trying to get super in the weeds, but I think a lot of stuff you said there, Pat, was super sharp. Yeah, if, unfortunately, you know, I'm not winning doing all of this stuff, but the people <laughs> that I see winning are doing this stuff. I'm just picking the wrong players to do it with, and that's just going to be a part of the process. I'm still trying to figure out what the best style of tournaments and the best style of play is for me. Like I said, that's why I like the 20 max, or even trying to enter 20 lineups into the $9. Which, and I think the $9 contest on DraftKings for NFL is the best large field tourney out there. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, by far. Yeah, it's one of those ones that is extremely flat. Like you said, you're going to be doubling your money at least if you cash. So there's some of those like small edges that we still see here. I actually have kind of come around a little bit to that. Um, I like kind of the top heavy structures, just the way that I play. And by the way, Pat, we had this conversation like a year or two ago. Uh, I play way more contrarian now than I used to. And I think that's just my uh, evolving as a player, which I've talked about again uh, on those Twitter uh, threads that like a lot of times, like I, I just wasn't comfortable doing it. I would make these kind of optimal teams and I would do this like maybe small pivot. And that was enough to like, uh, basically to cash a decent amount, but I wasn't winning anything. So like I had to start to think about things a little bit differently. Um, I'm still a little bit uncomfortable with going super off the board at running back. I'm trying to do better. Um, but last year, one of the biggest hits that we had on the tilt space with me, Leone and Overzet was we just played DeAndre Swift when no one was playing him. Uh, and he was just didn't, he kind of had that, that unambiguous like workload. Sometimes those are the guys that make a, a lot of sense in tournaments because everyone just wants to be like, oh, you can't play him. He's only getting 12 touches. But if you hit that outlier and he gets his 18 to 20 touches in the perfect game script, like you want to benefit from that. So I think just um, the problem, I guess, with playing that way is you're going to have long stretches where you lose. Uh, one of my most uh, profitable seasons I think I lost seven or eight weeks in a row in the middle of the season, just got absolutely buried, had a nice start, terrible middle, and then was fortunate enough to have a nice finish to the year, but that could have gone super wrong. And, and I maybe wouldn't have even realized if I was playing well or not playing well. So you can do a lot of the right things. Like it sounds like you're doing Pat and you don't always kind of realize that EV is the, the frustrating thing, right? Like it could be uh, a Todd Gurley touchdown away from winning a tournament and he goes down at the one yard line. That's just tough injuries, everything, man. It, it's, it's not an easy game. If it was an easy game, we wouldn't be talking right now. This is true. And the, those expectations have to come into it too, but a lot of it is patience. Like it's hard to lose three weeks in a row and think like, man, I got to get back on it. Like, Yep. How, how much of it is remaining consistent with what you're doing? Because you might be doing the right thing, like you said, for 10 straight weeks and not winning doing it. And then maybe you win the 11th week or maybe you go an entire year and don't win. But that was the right process all along. And you just had to see it through. How do you know if you're doing things right? And how do you know if you're doing things wrong? Or is that just something you're going to have to figure out for yourself? Yeah, I'd be lying if I, I said it was easy and those long stretches aren't fun for everyone. It's easy to second guess yourself or play a little bit tighter if you are kind of on a losing streak. I, I think that I'll say this too, like I, I know tons of really strong players that I've had losing seasons, so that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a good player, that you're not doing the right things. It, it's just really tough. I, I think that you just have to um, figure out what's the amount of money that I can lose and still play optimally, still take chances. So like a lot of times, at least what I found, like um, I'm never gonna be the empire maker, like the Chipotle addict that gets is comfortable having like a house on the line on a Sunday. Um, so if you're basically, if you're to the point where you're super uncomfortable and you're scared to make certain decisions when you're building your rosters, or even just like, when you lose, it's completely changing your mood. It's ruining your entire day. Like I can tilt with the best of them. I hate losing at basically anything ever. I overdo 
everything I do pretty much. Um, but I found that if you can find that sweet spot of where it doesn't ruin your entire day and, and you can still play the way that you should be playing in tournaments, like that's the amount you should be playing. Um, so I, I definitely have been on the other side of that where I was playing too much. And it was just, it was just, I wasn't playing well for that reason alone, not even just because I was losing, just because I was completely overexposed. I was chasing. I, I talked a little bit about that. I think it was 2014. Um, I started playing all these different sports. Uh, shout out to the masters. Just like got wrecked in golf for about three straight weeks after a big win. So, uh, it goes both ways. I, I kind of really narrowed my focus into very specific things in NFL. And that's what we talk about on my channel a lot. Um, just really focusing on these smaller fields contests and that's kind of the little niche that i've found there's probably tons of people that i mean I, there, I guarantee there is tons of people that are better than me at larger field at 150 max like that's not really my game and i'm okay with that you spoke about being contrarian and i think that's where managing your bankroll expectations like people talk about bankroll and they think that's like oh my god i gotta play five percent of my bankroll this week i have to play ten percent of my bankroll this week but what is your bankroll like if i bust out on DraftKings. I'm just going to reload and put in more money. So that's technically a part of my bankroll, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. The bankroll is not what you have on the yeah. site for the entire season. It's how much are you willing to lose? How much are you willing to commit to the entire season? That should be your number. Um, and if you're just going to continue to reload, then I would say that your bankroll is probably a little bit larger uh, or than it should be, or maybe larger than at least is on your balance. So I'm with you. I think that there's still certain things that you got to kind of think through um, from a bankroll perspective. I, I think that there's plenty of weeks where it makes sense to scale up. Uh, if you think you have a specific edge, if you have like a unique kind of thought process on something that no one's really talking about maybe there's crazy overlay because DraftKings is running this contest that isn't filling like those are situations to scale up late news I think if you're if you're basically one of the things that maybe is a little bit too in the weeds but if you have a player in the afternoon slate that is um kind of there was a 2v2 situation I'll describe it like this so if you have say Devontae Adams and uh Russell or Devontae Adams and uh Aaron Rodgers and just so happens uh basically Aaron Jones is ruled out late. Maybe you pivot to that backup running back and you completely change your stack out of that just to make sure that you're super unique with that breaking news. So scaling up your volume based on news is something that I really like to do as well. If you have a situation like that, that no one is going to react to later in the slate, those are the ones that sometimes can be super valuable to have a little bit more on the line. So um, I think it's situational based on what you should be playing, basically. Well, let's talk about the late swap for a second, because you said it in one of your threads that it's probably the single biggest advantage that you can give yourself in tournaments. And this is nothing new, but people can continue not to do it. There is even some weeks that I completely forget to do it. So whether it's news or not, that breaks. I remember one of my biggest wins ever. Now I can't remember the guy's name. Marshawn Lynch got ruled out for the Seahawks and the fuck was the guy's name? He ended up on the Jets. He wasn't very good, but he was just, he took over being the starter. He was the, like, the only running back that they had on their roster. It was at Cincinnati in a four o'clock game. So I was just like, yeah, I'll pivot onto that guy. And Rawls, Thomas Rawls was the guy. And he yep. was like 1% owned. He scored like 35 points. And he was the guy mm -hmm. that you needed to have on that slate. And no one had him because it was a late swap. No one wanted to commit the time to doing that when really you just open your phone and go like, boom, boom. Yeah, that's done. We're good to go now. So that's a huge advantage. But late swap in general, like you can see where you sit in a contest. Like if you're having a bad week, this was always a Dinkmeyer thing. You're having a bad week and you're outside of the, you know, the cash line and you only have like the super popular players left. Just take them out of your lineups and roll the dice because if the chalk busts and one or two of your guys hits, you might get a min cash week out of a losing week. And that's the stuff that keeps you going throughout the course of the year. Or if you're competing for first place and you're in like fifth in a contest or 10th in a contest, you can see who's above you. And mm -hmm. if you can kind of add like they have two players left, you have two players left and they're the same position. You're like, hmm, chances are we have the same two guys here. So I can't catch this guy if that's the case. And if you're playing for first, you're going to have to pivot off that player onto someone else. Yep, we're talking about a lot of small edges until now, Pat. This is one of the ones that literally, like, people just, like, straight forfeit, like, this opportunity to change your lineup after you have three more hours of context. Like, I, I don't understand it. Personally, like you said, like, if you're having a bad week, you basically, like, at that point, what what's the use of having this chalky stack later? Like, you're basically just going to stay where you're at or go down. You have to give yourself a chance to pass these people. I think it's one of those things that if, if it's true that only like five to 10% of people are doing it, it just makes it that much more important that you're looking through it on each and every slate. Really, there's gonna be plenty of times where it doesn't break your way, but all you need is that one time where it goes right. Like the the story that always pops into my head it was a couple of years ago in, uh, in the playoffs and uh, the Stefan Diggs, Minneapolis miracle 
Um, so I basically, the Minnesota was very popular on that playoff slate, by the way. So originally I had a Cousins, Thielen, Diggs stack, um, I, and I can't remember who it was uh, that they were playing um, New Orleans. So I think I had someone on the other side. And then there was uh, the Jaguars was this elite defense against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think was in game number three earlier that day. No one had any of those players. Basically, that game was supposed to be super low scoring games. Game ends up being like 54 to 48, something like that. Was, and I was completely dead. 45, 45, 42. I remember it very crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was really uh, I think there was in game number one it was a Patriots uh, stack that ended up being super popular that I faded in favor of that Minnesota stack later. So I was already behind at that point. So I'm like, OK, my cousin stack is really not going to help me at this point. So I, I basically moved all my shares over to a Pittsburgh onslaught. I think I had Lenny on the other side with Jacksonville and I had Stefan Diggs left in the in the afternoon game or in the game number four, I should say, in the playoffs. So uh, just that late swap, one of the biggest hits I've ever had on DraftKings and was secured maybe a, a min cash because I had some stuff go well, but didn't have like that optimal beginning and that optimal start. So just my willingness to move to a situation that people weren't going to be attacking is the whole reason that I was able to pass basically everyone that I thought had the nuts early on. And then, yeah, Stefan Diggs uh, just does something crazy. All I guess remember I was at the game uh, just in the air. I'm like, catch the ball, get out of bounds. Cause at that point it was basically going to secure that. I want everything small field catches. It goes into the end zone. And then I'm basically threatening to win a bunch of large field stuff. Uh, it was really cool. Definitely the coolest, like uh, live sweat I've ever had by far. And the late swap was the main reason that Al Smith won the millionaire maker that in stacking Tyrell Williams. And I think it was, no, it was Travis Benjamin and Kelvin Benjamin. I think were a part of that. He was on my show that week that he won the millionaire maker, which is the That's funny wild. part of it. But the late swap, it had the Sunday night game still in it. So you have like Packers and Green Bay. I believe he had Stefan Diggs in that game. And he saw like he was very near the top of the standings. So he had like a 1v1 with everyone else. And he had Stefan Diggs and he saw all the people ahead of him also had a receiver left for that price specific price point. They're like, oh, they all have Stefan Diggs too. So I can't win unless I get off of this player. Now, Diggs was a higher projected player. He ended up going on to Eddie Lacy because he had the flex spot open for himself to switch players. So he just left some salary on the table, went to Eddie Lacy, knowing that no one above him had Eddie Lacy. So, well, he put himself in a worse position in terms of projected point total he did put himself into a position that if Eddie Lacy did outscore Stefan Diggs in that game, that he won all the money. And that's exactly what happened. So sometimes you need to be able to give up a few points too if you're chasing the very top of a tournament. But like you said, that if you're out of the money and you switch on to guys who are like losers anyway, like you were going to lose. What's the big deal? Yeah, that was crazy. I can't remember if it was he pivoted to Stefan Diggs or away from Stefan Diggs. I don't know. It was a couple of years ago. These these like basically all these slates run into just one season in my brain anyway. But I think one of the things that that he did really well that really no one still does is not just late swapping when you're dead late swap when you have a chance to win, right? Like we're still trying to pass people. If you're sitting there in 10th place and I, one of the worst things that you can do is be like, oh no, I'm good. I have a great lineup. I have a chance to win. Like that's one of the worst things that you could ever do as a tournament player is just be content with what you have. Like we're trying to get first place. That's where all the money is, right? So we need to give ourselves a chance to do that. One of the hardest things, it's actually like once you start to do it, it's easy to late swap into players that are, I mean, if you're having a terrible day, it's easy to late swap at that point. What's harder to do is kind of look at your roster and be like this this team doesn't have the ceiling to completely win this tournament so i still am going to have to get a little bit different maybe you're not getting crazy but you still have to differentiate yourself to pass these teams that are ahead of you or what are we even doing here like why, we're not playing for 10th place pat like there's not a lot of money in 10th place anymore no there's not all the money is at the very top of these giant field tournaments like the difference between first and second is like it's like a 900 percent difference like you want to get the first place if you're up there yeah, I mean, you, you feel for these guys that they they basically they lose on a stat correction or they lose because there's a, an interception on just a throwaway game at the very end of the slate, right? Like, but it's a difference of like five hundred thousand dollars of their bottom line. So um, it's one of those things that it, we all have a bad beat story, uh, I guess, in anything that we've ever done. Uh, but you have to give yourself against those shots on goal to hopefully get lucky and be on the other side of it at some point, right? That's all we're doing. We're trying to basically survive in advance the entire. NFL season and hopefully just hit the nuts one or two times a year one or two times every two years and sometimes that's enough to be a profitable player like you you look at this the cash game graph just basically looks like it's it's straight up if you're doing a lot of really good things it's kind of gradual 
but the the gpp graph like mine at least looks completely different like i'll have long stretches of just kind of surviving and going down and then i'll have a spike and then i'll have like basically uh, another long period of time of kind of just slowly bleeding but staying alive in nfl just waiting for that situation to kind of break my way right so you want to give yourself as many opportunities as that as possible and i think the best way to do it is just to play smaller field just so that i have a chance to win more often even when i'm wrong wrong a ton trust me uh pat you think that you're not good at dfs like i think that's very debatable uh but i get lots wrong trust me i, I get a couple things right a year that's all that matters well, it's funny because almost what you mentioned is that you'll see these spike in GPPs if you can capitalize at the very end of a tournament and you have a big score. Like I play like between 200 and 500 bucks a week in DraftKings golf and I won 20K like four years ago in a $5 tournament back when I was playing like 150 bucks a week and I won 8K and 9K, one earlier this year, one last year. Like I haven't even come close to playing that amount of entries over that course of time over the past four years. Like I'm just going to be up because I had those elevated finishes that you, you know, they don't come around often, but when they do, like it really does sustain you for a really long time. It makes you a profitable player in that way. Even if you lose 12 weeks in a row and lose, and it's not like when you lose, you lose all of your money every single week. I think that's a part of it too. It's not like you won $10,000 or you, you got zero in return. I've had some weeks sure. where I've been wiped out. I'm not going to lie to you. It sucks. But if I'm in for like 200 bucks, like some weeks you'll get like 74 back or if you're in for a thousand bucks you'll get like 600 back like those are the weeks of treading water you're talking about yeah treading water uh is definitely a thing also these uh negative uh basically a hundred percent uh definitely happens especially if you're only playing tournaments and uh i guess people uh always talk about you want to be at the very high end of a tournament or the very low end of a tournament you don't really want to be living in that 50% range, because number one, you're not cashing. And number two, that lineup probably never had a chance to win. So um, if I know I'm playing well, even if things are going uh, poorly, it's when I'm making like terrible, terrible lineups and I'm all the way in last place, because that means I was building something that was super unique, just didn't like break my way. Or I had a chance to really threaten to win at that point. And maybe it was a week where uh, things kind of broke a little bit weird, right? Like I think sometimes like the best slates, you know when they're coming, because everyone's complaining about how hard it is to build lineups, about how gross the slate is sometimes those are the weeks that end up being the most profitable believe it or not yeah week one is not going to be one of those weeks where it's hard to like just yep. the pricing comes out so early that with injuries like oh here are eight guys below four thousand dollars that you can theoretically use in your lineup so week one's exactly. actually a week where i like to dial it back a little bit and just kind of test out the waters and i've heard a lot of very top end players at least i share that in common i mean they have all the money they have all the winnings but at least i share that one thing with them it's not like week one's not the week to go like go all in It'll wait till you have a bit of a sample of two three weeks to see how new offensive coordinators adjust to everything and then even at the end of the year like you can either get super and hyper aggressive week 16 to 18 but i like to scale it back a little because i don't have as good of a feel if you're someone who like the etr guys in the preseason like absolutely print money because they're so on top of most of the playing time situations and that's all the final few weeks come down to is do you have a grasp on who's going to play and who's not because you just take the guys that are actually going to play and avoid the landmines of guys who get yanked after a quarter or something like that then all of a sudden you're looking great in those situations before we get out of here what i wanted to hit on was rapid fire do's and don'ts uh, as it pertains to DraftKings nfl do stack your lineups do use the late swap would be the two biggest ones for me and the other one is use the tools. That's why I helped create runthesims.com is that these tools give me such an advantage to research things. And even if it's as simple as running the optimizer to see like, okay, I know that all these guys are probably going to be popular this week because that's what computers are spitting out. But the computer doesn't know more than I do about football. At least I hope it doesn't, but I can tell the computer what to what I want to see. And it just makes my life so much more efficient. And maybe even brings up certain players or certain things that I just wouldn't have seen trying to do hand notes or reading articles or trying to build hand lines. Like, oh, that guy actually does fit into that lineup. I would have not, never noticed that. You don't have to completely just go on what the computer tells you. But in terms of research, I do think it's very, very helpful to just run a bunch of different things. And the last quick tip that I'll give before you jump in, Joe, is don't be afraid to lose. The moment you're not afraid to lose the better off you're going to be. 
think that's all great advice. Just to kind of piggyback off the tool stuff for a second. Like it's exactly what they are. They're tools. It's not the answers to the test, all of that good stuff. You want to be consuming good information as you're kind of using those to make sure that you're using them effectively. Also, like one of the best things about tools and kind of running optimals just to see where things are at is it can help you kind of combat just a lot of biases you have. Like there's certain players that I just like mentally just can't play, like just because they've burned me before. But a lot of times I'm completely like ignoring a new situation. So it can help you kind of sift your way through through that noise. And, and I think that noise is one of the biggest kind of tips that I have is that if you're one of those people that is super in the weeds, you got a bunch of articles up, you got your spreadsheets out, you've got your optimizer, you've got all those things. Like my advice would just be to simplify, um, find a couple of people that you trust, um, find a couple uh, tools, resources, all of those things that are going to lead you to things that actually matter, not just all of these fancy stats that people are throwing out there. That's basically just good for content, not necessarily good for building lineups. So I think that keeping it simple, play smaller field tournaments, um, just by far is the biggest edge. I think that there is uh, outside of late swap, which we talked about, because um, I, I just think that like some of these larger tournaments, they, they are basically lottery tickets, in my opinion. But there's a lot of games out there, small slates that you can be playing that that aren't lottery tickets at this point. So I, I would have a real honest conversation with myself, like what my process is. If you think you're consuming too much, a lot of times that can kind of hurt your bottom line, uh, if anything. So I, I would say I'll echo what you said, Pat, don't be afraid to lose. Uh, that's that's the easiest way to kind of have a mediocre season in DFS is just to hold hands with what everyone's talking about. Um, be that guy that's willing to do things a little bit differently, but smart. Like, you're, again, you're not trying to find these 1% plays. You're going to use these tools that you have to build highly leveraged, but also highly projected lineups and, and kind of uh, just continue to bounce ideas off of out of, off of me, off of Pat, off your friends, like finding a community, I think is super important which is what we're really kind of trying to build on my channel just have the have the discord have some people to kind of go through sunday morning with to make sure you're not overreacting to news to make sure that you can kind of bounce these ideas off of each other right because i don't really think that there's anyone out there that's doing content that has all the answers i certainly don't um, but I'm definitely trying to just help you guys come through the process and just work through, through this thing together. Uh, and hopefully we get there, right? A couple times a year. That's all that matters. Yeah, even just one big one would be nice. And I love hearing from everyone who, who ends up with these high-end scores. It's awesome to see. And it's encouraging for other people to see it too, especially when someone's in for like 30 bucks for the week and they win like 2K. Like that's what people Amazing. are trying to do in a lot of these tournaments. And it's encouraging to see that it can really happen for people out there too. So uh, I, I always try to, listen, my picks, mediocre, at best. Uh, but I do feel like the information and research that I give out is valuable. So if you hear something I say, you're like, oh, Pat's actually wrong on that. I'm going to go to the opposite on that. Like, that's what the show is here for. So you can listen to people talk through these things. And maybe it triggers something in your brain that you can go look into and be like, oh, man, now I actually have a play no one else has. But I got to it because it jarred something loose. So that's why I enjoy consuming the content, absolutely providing the content in these regards. Joe Holka, on YouTube. You can just search Joe Holka and find him. Hit the description at Joe Holka on Twitter, where you have these threads. I recommend everyone go read them, but you've made them into handy videos for everyone too. I did. Some people just uh, don't like reading, Pat. You find that out. You got to make it real easy to digest these like four to eight minute videos. Uh, I'm probably going to do like another Twitter thread that just brings it all together. Kind of hard to find at this point. So probably in the next couple of days, by the time this comes out, uh, there'll be a really large Twitter thread that kind of brings them all together. So if you want to kind of get in the weeds, learn some of this stuff, that's great. If you just want to watch a couple of videos about everything that uh, basically I went over, uh, they'll all be up on my channel by the end of this week. Remember to smash the like button for the video, sub to Mayo Media Network, and give me your favorite trick or tip or do not do down in the comment section. And once again, runthesims.com. There are free tools. There are premium tools. You can go sign up for a free account. You don't need anything like a credit card or anything like that. Uh, you can just use your email and use the advanced stats hub, use the player projections. But if you want the optimizer, you want the game simulator, all of the betting tools, you're going to have to go with the premium product. If you use slash Holka, then you will get a discount off that as well. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.